Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast, I'm going to cover mirtazapine, which the brand name is Remeron. Now, this drug, how it works is it blocks alpha-2 receptors within the central nervous system, or it's an antagonist, and this can ultimately increase norepinephrine and serotonin release. Now, this mechanism is slightly different um, from uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors and SNRIs like serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So it does work uh, slightly differently. One other thing with the mechanism that's unique, and I'll talk a little bit about the uh, side effects um, with the medication as well, but mirtazapine can block H1 receptors. So that means it has antihistamine activity and can give it some sedative uh, type properties, which I'll talk about a little bit more as I'm getting into the side effects. Now, thinking about, you know, kind of how the drug works, what it's acting upon in the central nervous system, we can probably theorize that this drug is going to be indicated uh, for the use of depression, treating depression, and certainly it is. Um, with the adverse effect profile of sedation, this drug is often used for insomnia as well. And because of that antihistamine effect, we may also see some weight gain. Now that can definitely be problematic in some patients, let's say a type 2 diabetic who's overweight already or you know younger females and, and males that have been gaining weight you know that that's a big uh, problem a potential adverse effect that's significant uh, in our geriatric patient population if we have trouble with patients who are anorexic they have trouble eating uh, really have poor appetite things like that this is a reason why you might see this medication utilized. Now, I would say in, in my uh, practice, what I've seen as a, a pharmacist, I would say most often it's used for patients who present with depression and, uh, let's say, poor appetite, for example. So those are some of the, the uses that I think you're going to see mirtazapine used for most. Uh, let's get into those side effects a little bit more because I think they're really, really important and uh, mechanistically uh, you can understand how these kind of crop up. 
So that first one we kind of talked about a little bit, the H1 receptors and blocking that activity. So uh, think of older generation antihistamines like diphenhydramine or hydroxazine. They're very, very sedating medications. So that mechanism with mirtazapine can also occur as well. So uh, sedation, you definitely have to educate patients about that. The weight gain, uh, using it to actually stimulate appetite, you may see that in geriatric patients, um, but certainly that can be a negative in younger patients and patients who are already uh, overeating or obese or overweight. Um, that's definitely a, a negative thing there for sure. I have seen rare instances of you know different CNS changes, uh, confusion, hallucination, uh, worsening symptoms of anxiety or depression. So certainly, I always think of any drug that basically acts on the central nervous system. There's always a, a potential, however great or small, um, that it's going to uh, impact our patients uh, negatively sometimes. So again, pretty rare that I've seen any issues that way, but um, certainly something to think about if the timing of starting or increasing the dose of the medication correlates with any type of new symptoms. Now that sleep effect, uh, you'll see it written and, and seen in, in, in different articles and things like that, that uh, lower doses maybe tend to be more sedating uh, than higher doses, and that's due to that kind of antihistamine effect uh, at lower doses. As we get to higher doses, there may be more of a you know, stimulatory, maybe a little bit more norepinephrine type effect. Um, you know, how true is that and how does that play out in clinical practice? Um, you know, I, I think of a patient that, you know, we, we may not get much more bang for your buck on increasing mirtazapine to uh, the higher dosage range, you know, 30 to 60 milligrams in patients that uh, we're treating insomnia. Now, genetics can play a role and all sorts of different stuff can play a role um, in what may or may not uh, impact that medication, um, but you will see that uh, reported out there in the, the literature. With any antidepressant, it's super important to educate our patients that for the antidepressant effect, it's likely going to take a while. You know, a few weeks, a couple weeks for sure to start uh, displaying effects, but, you know, maybe up to four to eight weeks before really um, starting to kick in. So definitely important to uh, educate your patients in that respect. Now, if we're using it primarily for sleep, insomnia, and that effect, that should be seen fairly quickly, okay? Upon taking the first uh, dose or first few doses, we should get that sedative type effect uh, if that patient is going to have that effect and, and benefit from that. One other quirk on the adverse effect profile so if you remember mirtazapine and bupropion, which I think I still need to cover in an upcoming episode here, uh, but mirtazapine and bupropion tend to have a lot less impact on sexual dysfunction. So the SSRIs, SNRIs, the TCAs, uh, those classes of medications tend to have a lot more problems with causing sexual dysfunction. So I think that's a really important differentiator and a, a good thing to remember 
Uh, I definitely uh, remember seeing that uh, throughout pharmacy school show up on different exams and, and quiz questions. Let's take a really quick break here. I want to remind you guys of three things. So reallifepharmacology.com, subscribers to the website. Uh, what I do is I send out an email uh, once a week when the new podcast is out. Um, but for subscribing, I'm giving you guys a free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs, okay? So really cool resource. Um, basically what I did was um, pulled out the clinical pearls that I see in practice um, and really listed three things uh, kind of for each of those medications in the, the top 200 that I think are um, most important. Certainly not to say that there isn't other things, but those really highly testable pearls with those medications. So that's free for subscribing at reallifepharmacology.com. Uh, meded101.com slash store. Uh, if you go to that link, uh, you'll find stuff for pharmacists, nurse practitioners, physicians, uh, med students. Um, our focus is mostly on pharmacists at this time. We're looking to expand that. Um, but meded101.com slash store. Uh, you can certainly uh, check out our NAPLEX and BCPS and uh, some of our great pharmacist resources. But like I said, we're uh, looking to expand some of those other resources on pharmacology as well. And last, very quickly here, uh, if you love us, go check us out. Uh, leave us a rating and review on, on uh, iTunes. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. And thank you to those who are listening and have already done so. So let's get back into it. We're talking about uh, drug interactions with mirtazapine. And there aren't a, a lot that specifically come to mind, at least in, in my mind right away when I think about mirtazapine. Uh, probably the biggest thing that first pops into my head is the CNS depressant effect. So that sedation, obviously if a patient's on other medications that can cause sedation, uh, opioids, uh, other psych medication, uh, over-the-counter anti older antihistamines, all sorts of, you know, sleepers, other medications like that, um, that mirtazapine can kind of have that cumulative effect where it may zonk a person out um, even more or, more or make them too sedated. Uh, second thing with drug interactions, uh, there is uh, some issues uh, through CYP1A2 and 3A4 and 2D6. So those CYP enzymes, as far as interactions goes, do play a role here. Um, I would say that, you know, I'm not aware of any strong contraindications to any meds kind of through those pathways, um, but I would strongly encourage you to look that up if you do start a new medication just to recognize which way uh, concentrations might go. If it's increasing mirtazapine, uh, if it's reducing concentrations, or if it's, you know, changing the concentrations of, of other medications as well. So think about that um, with mirtazapine uh, and really clinical monitoring of, of patients with new, any new medication is, is going to be important. But keep in mind, concentrations could be a little bit altered um, with mirtazapine in combination with other drugs. Uh, serotonin type effects. So uh, we've got to think about, you know, SSRIs and things of that nature. Uh, that can be an issue. Um, I, I would say it's 
pretty low chance uh, that there's any type of serotonin syndrome or stuff like that. Uh, you're going to have to look at that patient and kind of assess uh, what other drugs they're on, what doses are they on, and um, that mirtazapine potentially having a small cumulative effect uh, to that serotonergic load. Uh, a couple things that I think kind of are important for all antidepressants Um and I, I did talk about, if you go listen to the SNRI podcast, I talked about discontinuation syndrome. So this is basically symptoms um, creeping up uh, if a patient abruptly discontinues their antidepressant uh, too quickly, basically without, without tapering down. So a very important point about antidepressants, being careful uh, if we do have a patient that we're trying to get off or, you know, the patient wants to go off themselves, uh, important education point there. And one other thing that I haven't touched on much is switching antidepressants. So many times um, I've seen patients try SSRIs, maybe try an SNRI, and maybe it's still not working for depression, and we want to try something different. And mirtazapine you know, might fit that bill, depending upon the, the clinical situation. Now, with that... Um, there's always a question, or I've gotten the question a lot, about how do we go from one antidepressant to the other? Let's say the one we're on, let's say it's sertraline, is not working, and we want to go to another one. I generally recommend a cross taper, where we start you know, at a low dose of the mirtazapine, and then at the same time, come down slightly on the dose of you know, sertraline or whatever um, other antidepressant you're using. So that's my preferred method. Now, if you've got a situation where you've got uh, some serious adverse effect or something like that, um, you know, you're going to want to stop that drug right away and probably just have to deal with the discontinuation syndrome. Um, but if, you know, patients just not responding well, but they're tolerating it fine, I generally support uh, cross tapering as far as just the most kind of conservative way to uh, start a new antidepressant and kind of taper off the, the one they're on. Now, augmentation might be appropriate where we use two different antidepressants as well. Uh, so it's really kind of a clinical gray area uh, as far as some of that goes. Um, and I'm not going to get into that today, um, but just wanted to lay out that cross-tapering uh, strategy and in, in theory, and at least uh, from my experience, um, what I've seen uh, providers and uh, others do. I think that wraps up today's episode. Certainly hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hope you picked up a pearl or two. And leave us a review on iTunes if you have a second. Uh, if you've got questions, concerns, um, issues, maybe I misspoke, which is entirely possible, uh, reallifepharmacology.com and hit the contact button. It's the best and easiest way to uh, get a hold of me. So uh, take care. Thanks for listening. I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Uh, Eric Christensen, uh, PharmD, signing off. Take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.